0: Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, if you do not have a Bible, uh, in the back we have a few guys with extra Bibles. So if you need to borrow a Bible today, you can raise your hand now. These guys will get one to you. They also have extra note sheets if you want to... Put your uh, phone on sermon mode and, and pay attention to paper, and not your phone, during this time. They can get you one of those as well. Just raise your hand; they'll get you a Bible. You can borrow that Bible if you don't own a Bible. Uh, we would love for you to keep that Bible. Um, we want you to have a copy of God's Word. Um, but turn to Romans twelve, freshmen. I want to say before we get started, um, this is not this won't count against my time yet, so we'll do that later. But we are so thrilled to have you here. I won't let you know. We are going to have a ton of fun while you're in high school ministry. I mean, it's being here on Wednesday nights in the summer. we got some great theme nights planned. You should come. You should invite your friends to come. It's a great place to even invite your non-Christian friends. Uh, We'll have a ton of fun on Sunday mornings. It's just different when you're in in, uh, high school. You know, socially, you've, you've learned how to interact with people a little bit more and whatnot. But I want to let you know that when you come through these doors every single week on Sunday, and when you show up, on campus Wednesday nights, and at Bible Study Wednesday, you're showing up uh, with people having already prayed for you. Now, just like we pray regularly for all the students that come here every week, and we don't pray that you would have a good time. Uh, We don't necessarily pray that you'd be safe, though, you know, it'd be preferable. Our biggest prayer is your spiritual health. Uh, We are totally committed to having a blast in high school ministry, and we are deathly serious about your spiritual state before the lord and so you'll learn that even now like it weren't like really giggly before and now all of a sudden you've noticed like a lot of students around you they pull their bibles out they're ready to take notes why because we think right now you have made a decision whether you're going to follow christ or not i'm going to preach not about a decision you're going to make 10 years from now about a decision that you're going to make today and that you should make every day about following jesus And so our heart is that you would be a real Christian loves Christ. And so here just be my encouragement to you. uh, Come to everything. Have a great time. But also come and uh, maximize the spiritual benefits of high school ministry. Just come regularly. Come ready to hear the word. Meet your small group leader. Don't dodge your small group leader. Uh, If your small group leader is trying to talk to you about sin in your life or about why you keep using the bathroom during the sermon every week or stuff like that, It's not because we're police. These people aren't police. It's because we as a ministry are committed to doing whatever it takes that you would spend eternity with Christ. And that is our end goal in all of this. So we love you. We're thankful for you. We have been and we'll continue to be praying for you. Uh, We're looking forward to seeing what the Lord does in your life. I want to let you know that as we look at God's word, we're in Romans chapter 12. And I will say, freshman, you are at a little bit of a disadvantage because you're jumping in at a series already in progress. It's kind of like when you have a friend that jumps in halfway through a movie you've already been watching. They have questions, who's that character, who's this, and what's happening, why why was that a big moment? You're like, just get here 30 minutes earlier next time. But I promise you, today's passage is going to make sense. I'm going to help you get caught up with one verse. Romans 12.1 is what we looked at about a month ago. For those of you who've been here, you remember we started this series in Romans 12. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, that is, God's grace from Romans chapters 1 to 11, the grace that saves and changes and secures sinners, God's grace that he's shown us in the death of Jesus Christ, I, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So the way we worship God, it says this is your spiritual worship, the way we worship God is by presenting our whole life as an offering. That every part of our life, our emotions, our thoughts, our decisions, all of it is laid on the altar. And In contrast to the Old Testament where it's the animal up on the altar, it's you put yourself on the altar every single day. And so worship is not a weekly use of my voice to sing. Worship is the daily decision to give my whole self over to God. It's not a weekly event or a bi-weekly event. It's a daily decision of your life. And Romans 12 and Romans 13 teach us what this worship looks like. And you could turn now to Romans 13, because that's where we are. It's going to be now today. But I want you to see what Paul is describing as real Christianity. Real Christianity is the kind of Christianity that says, all of my life is given over to the Lord. I keep nothing back for myself. We just sing about that, right? Use every aspect of my life for your glory, Lord. There's a lot of talk today about what a real Christian is and what a real Christian isn't. And these, these verses teach us, these two chapters, about what real worship of God looks like. Now, it's not, it's not exhaustive. This isn't everything there is about being a Christian, but it is foundational, and today I want you to look at Paul's summary passage. If you want to see the, the summary of Romans 12 and 13, or well, here it is, we're going to look at Romans 13 verses eight to 14. Romans 13 verses eight to 14, will be our passage for today. Let's read it together. The word of God reads, "O, no one, anything, except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law." For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is God's very word. Let's pray together before we consider it. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this new group of freshmen that have come into our ministry. It's an exciting Sunday to have five grade levels here. Lord, help us to worship now. Put away distraction. Give me and everyone listening clarity of thought so we can hear from your word about how to worship you. God, you are worthy of worship. We read about it from Revelation 5. We know that because of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross, you deserve all of our lives. So help us to live rightly. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at today, how do I live a life of worship? How do I know I have a sort of real Christianity, not a fake faith, but a real faith that worships throughout my whole life, through every aspect of my life? How do you student worship with your whole self well this is an incredible passage and we have a shorter time today with all the excitement but i think this will be helpful for you either way look at these verses even pick some part of it that you need to think about later as you go home i want to highlight two details today how do i demonstrate a life of worship how do you know that you're worshiping god rightly it's in two ways from this passage number one is this how you treat the saints how you treat the saints i know i worship God rightly by the way I treat other believers look at verse 8 Paul writes "Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves has fulfilled the law now we've already been discussing we looked at this a few weeks ago I think it was two weeks ago we looked at the priority of love that Christians are supposed to be marked by love for one another and though I do think that this is a passage about love for all people, I think specifically or, or maybe primarily it's talking about love within the Christian community. Love with the people you're sitting around right now. Now we know this. Take a look at John fifteen twelve. John 15, 12 I should have up here. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. All right, so Christ, we know, loves us. Uh, he died for us while we were enemies. That's, that's the way he's shown his love for us. So it would be strange if those who knew Jesus didn't love like Jesus. But because we know Christ, we treasure Christ, He rightly commands us to love one another the way He has loved us. Look at John 13, verse 35 up there. John 13, 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so there should be this sort of sacrificial love that's within the body of Christ. Look at chapter 12, verse 9. It should be in the page right before, maybe even the same page. Chapter 12, verse 9, Paul says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Christian community is to be marked by love. And friends, in this context, that is how we worship. Now think about this today. So much of worship in modern thinking within the church is personal and private, right? That's why, and we do this a little bit as well, that's why churches will dim the lights, and we dim because we want to focus, we want to think rightly, but it becomes just my worship. In fact, I can jump from church to church if I don't like their style of worship. They think of worship as singing, but worship isn't singing. Or I shouldn't say, is it primarily singing? The way we worship is with our lifestyle, and we worship together, corporately, the way we love one another, corporately. That's how we show the worth, the value, the greatness of who God is. And so it would be very strange to say we worship God, but we just don't love others who God has saved. Seems contradictory. Contradictory. What does this worship look like? Well, John 15, 13 tells us this. John 15, 13 says, greater love is no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. So in our modern thinking, love is always about how others benefit me. I love others how they benefit me. I think about every sappy kids movie you've ever watched, right? Every sappy story, a girl trapped in a tower of isolation, meets a guy who rescues her, helps her see the floating lanterns, but those weren't the only lights that she saw, thus proving that only, that even the most sheltered of homeschoolers can find true love in a day. It's true. Why does she love? Well, the love comes from the benefit. We think of love as how someone else benefits me. But love, as Jesus is defining it, is I love others by me living for them, not them benefiting me. Love is is inherently outgoing. And he says, we're to owe no one anything except to love each other, to do what's best, to care for affectionately and benefit other people. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So here's what Paul says, "The the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. What Paul is saying here is the foundational aspect of all obedience is love, is sacrificial, outpouring love. And he gives this example, verse 9, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. This is commandment 6, 7, 8, 10. All these commandments are summed up in this. You ready? Here's how I could summarize the commandments. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? Well, that means is we love others the way we prioritize self. Let me tell you what this isn't saying. And I used to think there's no one who actually says this. Then I heard it recently. I can't remember where. Where people say like, you see what the Bible's telling us here? If you really want to love others, you got to love yourself first. You're going to have some self-care. Take some days off. Treat yourself, you know, and you need to help yourself out. And then you can love others after self-care. That's not what this is saying. You know why? Because we don't struggle at all with loving ourselves. We easily love ourselves. Even in our complaints and our depression over our self-image is because we love ourselves so much we wish we were better. We love us some us. We're always taking care of us. We're always attending to things which most benefit us. And what Paul is saying is instead of just prioritizing you, the way you fulfill all commandments is to love others with that same zeal. In fact, you would love others above yourself. Love puts yourself second. It puts others before you. And Paul's saying if you want to summarize those commandments, it's that. Love your neighbor as yourself friends this is what Paul has already been talking about for two chapters so flip back to chapter 12 really quick so you could see it 12 verse 3 how do I love others well it begins by for the by the grace given to me I say to everyone not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think don't elevate yourself in your own mind Twelve ten. love one another with brotherly affection care for others Care what others think. Care what uh, how others feel. Care how you can meet the needs of others. Outdo one another in showing honor. Groups that you're in are not a social contest for who's the funniest or the wittiest or the smartest. Actually, amongst Christians, it's a contest for how you could put others before yourself. How you can constantly show how do I show that these people are more important to me than me? Take a look at verse eleven. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. There's going to be a service aspect in loving. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Care for others. See what others need, how you can meet those needs. I love verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And so if you're going to love rightly, You are going to have a low view of self. Do you see how this is outpouring? This is selflessness. There's an others-orientedness to loving rightly. This is how we worship God. I mean, even as you go back to the commandments, think about these sins. Do not commit adultery. Think about the selfishness behind adultery. The self-centeredness behind murder. The focus on you that comes from stealing. The worship of you that comes from coveting. See how those do not mix with love. And so by loving others, you can really obey all the commands. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love does no wrong. Isn't that interesting? Modern thinking on love. Love is emotions. You let your emotions dictate what is right. That's why people say stuff stuff like love is love. If it feels right, then go for it. Oh, no, there is right and wrong. And real love does what's best for others. In your group, do you do what's best for other believers? Friend, is your life marked by love? How much of your life is centered around other people? How much of your conversation steers its way back to you or puts spotlight on others? In your calendar, which I know high school is like, well, I'm so busy, but in your calendar, are you ever inconvenienced? Let me say it differently. Are you ever inconvenienced without complaining? Is something always terrible if you're not doing the very thing you want to do? See, I think you're at a disadvantage When it comes to loving because your whole life you've at least kind of been taught or it's kind of been modeled that i'm supposed to fill up all free time with entertainment something on my phone something on video games uh something with friends is entertainment by yourself is streaming show where is the love in that where's the others orientedness I don't think it's shocking when we spend four to six hours a day on our phones playing video games or something, and then we struggle thinking of others. We've literally spent a quarter of our day doing something that only benefits us. In your friend group, is it marked by love? And I don't just mean we all get along. We can all get along giving each other the self-affirmation that we desire. I mean, do you seek to serve people? Do you really lay down your life to do what's best for your friends? Do you uh, love this? Love does no wrong. Earlier, we, we read, uh, love hold, chapter 12, verse 5, love holds fast to what is good. So sometimes in our friend group, it means that we say, guys, we shouldn't do that. That's wrong for us to talk like that. That's wrong for us to think like that. We shouldn't uh, allow each other to sin. Take your Bible. I'm going to look at one more verse on this. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. It's just one book to the right. You can hold your spot here. But 1 Corinthians 13, and maybe this would be a good passage for you to meditate on later today and just ask yourself, does this mark my life? Am I marked by this? By the way, again, Paul has said this so many times that if our life is not marked by love, we should be very concerned whether or not we're a Christian. I mean that. Paul has made such an emphasis on love that we should be very concerned whether or not we know the Lord if there's no love in our life at all. Verse 13, chapter 13, verse 4, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Is our life marked by love? Would you describe yourself as being others-oriented? Let me just say that if you really lived this out, the response for most people I think would be, why are you so weird, right? Because it's so nice for us to like, I don't know, it's, it's, you fit in with the culture by being self-focused. And by like laughing at a little bit of sin and not being too serious about caring for others' benefit. I mean, it's going to be weird. If you do this, let me tell you what it's going to look like. In your groups, you'll totally shut down gossip. Gossip will cease. Slander, go away. You will be selfless. You'll be others-oriented. You'll ask questions and I just want to talk. You'll be strange, but that's Okay. Because you're not worshiping the audience that's around you. You're seeking to worship the Lord in the way that you love others. Friends, when I think about God's call to love and the love of Christ that we're called to emulate, I am incredibly discouraged at the lovelessness in my own life. I see my own selfishness, my own lack of patience, my own lack of kindness. And I'm so thankful and utterly astounded at the love that God shows us regularly. Regularly. And because of that love, it should give us hope uh, that we are still loved by God and should compel us to love the way that He loves. What does real worship look like? It'll be reflected in how you treat the saints. Here's how worship looks like. Number two, it'll be reflected in how you treat your sin. It'll be reflected in how you treat your sin. Now, before I dive into this, I just want to say, Christians do sin. First John one nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive. That's a message to believers. Believers, as they're running towards Christ, they're going to see ways that they still fall short. Jesus is still as much of a Savior today as the day I became a Christian. I need Jesus to pay for my sins today just as much as I needed Him on January fourth two thousand three. That's what we we always are in need, but. The way that Jesus has defeated our sin will affect the way that you view your sin and how you treat your sin. So let's look at this passage again with that with that uh, mindset. Verse eleven: Besides this, you know the time; the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. There is in this passage a spiritual urgency. There is an intensity. The stakes are high. You understand this, right? If your teacher comes to you tomorrow and says, there's an assignment due a month from now. Many of you would be like, trick. We're out of school a month from now. But let's go back in time to another time of the year. And your teacher says, there's an assignment due a month from now. Most of you go, I don't even know why she's mentioning it That yet. <laughs> I don't need to think about this for a long time, a month from now. And then your teacher says, there's an assignment due two weeks from now. And you're like, okay, I might want to start putting my name on the assignment or something. I should have a plan. We, it's a group. We should probably put a group together, right? Uh, if I say assignment's due one week from now, that raises the stakes a little bit more. And if then the teacher says the assignment is due tomorrow... Well, that's when some of you uh, start doing your best work and your only work, these 24 hours to make this assignment happen, right? As the deadline gets closer, the urgency goes up, the focus heightens, there's more intensity to it as well. What Paul is saying is this. You know the time. The hour has come to wake from sleep. Salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. We're near the end, folks. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. In regards to the global calendar, we are, or t- sorry, to the, to the eternal calendar, we are close to the end of this era, before eternity. How do you know this? Well, the scriptures warn us that we will know what the last days are. There will be false teachers in the last day, prov- uh, promoting a false gospel in the last days. Uh, There will be natural disasters. There will be global strife, as we see. There will be global love and celebration for sin. That's what we see in the last days. We know that the Lord is at hand, that Christ could return at any time. What Paul is telling us is that the end is coming. He wants us to think about the end. He says salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Salvation being like saving grace? Well, no, no, I'm not talking about that. He's talking about ultimate salvation, where we're rescued forever from the flesh and from persecution and from the devil. We're brought into eternity with Christ and his kingdom forever. That is coming soon. It's nearer than when we first believed. And so how should that affect us? Here's what Paul says. If eternity is real, and if it's close... And if you don't know whether Jesus comes back tonight or if you die in a car crash later this week, you don't know. The end is near. So here's what you do. Wake up. Wake up. Spiritual alertness. 12.11, the time has come for you to wake from sleep. Now, there's a lot of talk about wokeness today. This is the only kind of sanctified wokeness we could be okay with. Spiritually Be alert. Don't be dumbed down. Don't be aloof. Don't be asleep. What is Paul talking about here? This is a rebuke against slothful Christianity. This is a rebuke against a sort of casual faith, a flippant faith. Listen, Christians are supposed to be patient. We are patiently waiting on the Lord. But it's a passionate focused patience we are watchful as we are waiting and so what does this awakenness look like right don't be asleep i'm worried that some of you in your faith you are asleep what does this being awake look like well he tells us verse 12 the night is far gone the day is at hand so then let us cast off the works of darkness Being spiritually awake, being spiritually urgent is going to look like a fight against sin. It's going to look like a reminder that sin is in the world, sin is in my flesh, temptation is all around me, and I am going to do all that I can to fight sin. We cast off the works of darkness. Christians, true worshipers, Seek to worship God by putting to death the sin that displeases him. It's not about putting to death sin so that we become a better us. It's that I worship the Lord, I treasure him. Therefore, I put sin to death because it doesn't please him. He does not delight in our sinful deeds. What do they put off? Verse 13 let us walk properly as in the daytime. says so not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Uh, those are classic sins that we think about, about those who are given over to the passions of the flesh. Those first two have something to do with sort of like drinking parties. Those second two have to do with sexual sin. And Paul says, put them all to death. Cast those off. We don't walk in that sin anymore. We don't dabble. Jesus wasn't nailed to a piece of wood. He did not... Die a bloody death so that we could be forgiven of sin that we continue to walk in still. He didn't he didn't die so you get a get out of sin free card. But there's an urgency and alertness that says I'm casting off the sin so I'm walking properly. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality. Not in wait a second, quarreling and jealousy. When Paul wants to hammer down the kind of sin that is of the darkness of the world, so, you know, debauchery, drunkenness, we're like, yep, as a Christian, I'm on board with that. That's bad, you know, sexual sin, I get it, that's bad, quarrelling and jealousy. Paul sorts of Paul sort of puts those sins on that level. You want to walk the way the world walks. Keep fighting other people. Keep arguing with others. Keep having drama. There's always gossip. Always slander. Always someone that's wronged you. Always someone that could be doing better. Always someone that's not meeting up to your standards. You are living just like the world. And jealousy. Always someone that has something that you should have. Always something you're, someone you're upset with because they've robbed you of your Right? Paul says that's the way the world walks. That's not how we worship the Lord. We don't walk in those sins. How can we say we have fellowship with light if we walk in darkness? And then says verse 14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I want to talk in a moment about putting on the weapons of light like he says. I want to talk about putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we need to land. But before we get there, I want us to think about that no provision for the flesh. What is the flesh? The flesh, if you've been with us in Romans, especially in Romans 7, the flesh is our our bodies. And it's not that I don't do anything nice for my body, like you should still eat and hydrate and you definitely should, should bathe. Um, I, I highly encourage that. Freshman, I didn't mention that earlier, but please bathe. Um, but the flesh has to do with there's this old corrupted self that even though I have a new nature that wants to obey and though I love the Lord and I, and I want to please him in all things, there's something fallen about this physical body. There's something that I still battle with sin because this body hasn't been perfected yet. There's the old man, the corrupt nature that lives there. Now, to be fair, this, this flesh, its days are numbered, right? Lord's coming back or I'm, I'm croaking and it's done. I don't have to fight sin anymore. So this is a defeated enemy. But how do you treat a defeated enemy? In sports, how do you treat the other team when you're up 20 with two minutes to go? Here's how you treat them, Ruthlessly. In war, how do you treat an enemy that's maybe days away from raising the white flag? Ruthlessly. You utterly destroy. And you do the same with your flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. No provision. right? You don't give anything to it to let it survive. You cut it off. All resources, anything to maintain the flesh, you do what you can to destroy it. Student, holiness is not just I've been forgiven of my sin, so I'll do it a little less. Holiness, and the kind of holiness that's an act of worship to God looks like full throttle, zealous, awake to the threats of sin and doing all that I can to put sin to death in my life. And so what's that going to look like? It's going to look like limiting areas of sin where I'm weak. At our house, Uh, We live up in Santa Clarita, and during this time of year, we will start regularly seeing bugs. And so I will about once a month go around and spray uh, bug spray around uh, to keep them out of the house. Can't kill them all, but at least let's keep them out of the house. Okay, I don't take that poison then, which would also be very dangerous to my kids, and just kind of leave it on the kitchen table and tell them like, hey guys, you, you should really stay away from that. You'd get sick if you drank that. No, I put it somewhere Secure. I put it up high where they can't. Uh, they can't get to it. Why? Because it's it's dangerous. You don't want it nearby. Friends, with some of our sin, we're keeping it too close. We're coddling it. And so, if you know there are ways that you are tempted, you need to limit yourself. Maybe it's you only spend a certain amount of time with a certain friend group. Maybe it's I don't know. All the Friday nights are at your house. Maybe the phone and the computer don't come into your room with you. Maybe you avoid certain subjects with certain friends, but you are actively trying to do what you can to not put yourself in position to stumble into sin. Sometimes it comes from limiting. Sometimes it comes from utterly destroying your sin. So when Jesus says in Matthew 5, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, He is speaking hyperbolically. He is talking about language, but he is talking about seriousness. Is there sin in your life that would be done if you just cut out X? If you just cut out fill in the blank for you? What sin is still alive simply because you won't get rid of it because you like it, because you want to keep it as your little pet sin that you continue to nurture? Friends, our whole life is to be an act of worship. And so we put sin to death because we're serious about Christ. What's the positive side? Well, we, we put on. It, it says we, we put on the armor of light, verse 12. And, and instead of just not sinning, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So not just say, don't do this, but I do this. Instead, what does that mean to put on the armor of light? What does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I think part of that is going to have to do with just walking in holiness. Walking in the deeds that are in the light. So you know, Pastor John's been talking about it, Ephesians 4, you know the way that we're supposed to speak, the way you're supposed to treat one another, um, the way we're supposed to view uh, those who harm us. We're supposed to walk in good deeds. Pastor John's going to talk more about that as he goes through Ephesians chapter 5. So we're supposed to put on holiness. Another aspect of it would just be remembering your identity. So every day I don't wake up as those who are enslaved to sin. I remember I've been freed from sin. Jesus paid for my sin. In fact, put on the armor of light. That that sounds very similar to Ephesians chapter 6 where it talks about putting on the armor of God. I'm just going to look at that now. Uh, Put on the full armor of God. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness. He goes, the the shoes that are like the gospel of peace. He's talking about all these things that aren't actual like armor that we put on it's it's that we remember like oh faith i've pushed it, put my trust in jesus he's coming back to rescue me the gospel i remember the gospel where jesus paid for my sins so that we might live in righteousness hope i remember the hope that i have that one day the battle of the flesh is going to be gone and one day christ is going to bring me back home it's remembering truths so by putting on christ We're walking in holiness because we have a new identity with Christ. Remembering the truths that Christ has secured for us. I also think that that's going to include John chapter 15. Abiding with Christ. Remembering Christ. Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus. Jesus who is a real person. Jesus who went through life without sinning. Jesus who is praying for us right now before the Father. Praying as a reminder that our sin has been paid for. Praying that we'd make it to the end. We put on Christ. We draw near to Christ. We remember Christ. And we walk in holiness. Freshman, I said this a few weeks ago. Christianity is, uh, walking in faith in this life is a lifestyle of amnesia and deja vu. We continuously forget who we are and continuously re-remember all that Christ has done for us and who we are in Him. That's how we actively put on Christ, and we don't live for the desires of the flesh. I want to conclude by giving us two whys. Why do we live like this? Why do we have this sort of urgency? If sin has been defeated, why do I care so much about this? And why is this such a mark of real Christianity? Take your Bibles and go to Hebrews three my youth group growing up was much smaller than this Uh, we were probably about 40 and it was high school and junior high combined and uh, I was a newer Christian in eighth grade I became a Christian Um, my family kind of pseudo went to church prior to that and uh, I heard the gospel at a summer camp and over months and months began to realize that my profession of faith wasn't real. And I, I became a Christian in an eighth grade. And as the years went on, there's something that was just amazing. Here are the first like group of Christians I ever met. And yet the group kept getting smaller. Not numerically. I meant that the number of them who kept calling themselves Christians would shrink I can think of of numerous people now, I, I won't mention their names, I've got their face in my mind, who just, by senior year or junior year or freshman year of college would say, I'm not a Christian anymore. And I could think of my own graduating class that only a handful of us still claim to be believers. And I think about Hebrews 3, verse 13. But exhort one another every day As long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let me tell you why you should make no provision for the flesh. Why sin is not a game that we play. I can think back to every one of those students. And it's hard to figure out what went on. It's it's hard to figure out like, why did that kid stop believing? Why do I keep believing? Why did the friend that invited me stop claiming to be a Christian? And What, what do you do with that? But, but there's one thread I could see in common, is there was a comfort with sin. And there was a comfort with laughing at sin. And there was a toleration for some sin as long as we didn't really do the bad stuff. And Hebrew says, be careful of the deceitfulness of sin. Freshmen, do you want to know how you stay a Christian by the time you graduate? It has very little to do with your view on the LGBT movement or your deal with abortion. It has of everything to do with how comfortable you are with sinning in your text and the way you treat others and the sin that you harbor in your mind. Your comfort level with sin puts you in danger of being deceived by sin. So run from it. Flee from it. Put it to death. Get others in your life to hold you accountable. Tell other people, hey, I'm going to call out sin in your life because I need you to call out sin in my life because the goal is not that we'd have an awesome four years or eight years or 50 years on this life. The point is that we'd be with Christ forever. So we're not messing with sin. And so you're careful with sin because sin is dangerous. And you're careful with sin Because Christ is glorious. Friends, we talk about loving each other. Christ loved us while we were enemies. He he loved us to the point of laying down his life for us. He loved us even though he didn't need us. You cannot be a living sacrifice and leave provision for the flesh at the same time. You have a choice to live in do I give my life over to the Lord or do I live today for my own sinful passions? But there's no middle ground in between. Our prayer is that each of us would be real Christians that love the Lord so that every area of our life would be surrendered to Him. That's our hope for you. Let's pray as we sing one more song together.